Hi folks, this is Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is Tuesday, November the 21st, 2017. We're in the short week this week, Thanksgiving week, as we approach Turkey Day on Thursday. And as you guys know, if you listened yesterday, Wednesday will be the holiday special. That means as soon as I'm done with today's show... I'm done for the week and hang out with my wife and stuff like that. But uh, I've got to really kind of, like, since tomorrow's like the, uh, the the holiday special show that happens every year, this is kind of like the final show before the holiday. And I have stacked a great one for you. I'm bringing on probably the person who's been on the show as a guest more times than any other person. And if we count his expert counsel appearances, I, I guarantee you he's the only the only person that's been on the show more than him is me. And that is, of course, Mr. Energy himself, Stephen Harris, of all things, 1234.com. I don't know that he has that domain, but I bet you he will soon. If you can put 1234 after it, he has it. That's just because he's into so many really cool things. And uh, this is a show that we floated the idea for. Almost two years ago, and it took him now to get off his ass and actually decide he wanted to do it. And it was him and me just freewheeling how you would configure and what you would do with various options for bug-out trailers. And I kind of have a project in my head for the future myself for a bug-out trailer, and we'll be fleshing out some of that and other things today. But the concept being that most of us can only carry so much in our vehicles, and not everybody's going to go out and retrofit a school bus into some sort of a Mad Max, you know, corollary or something like that, uh, or have like a massive RV or something. And a trailer is something that like you can configure it. It's there. It's ready to go. You can get multiple uses from it. But if you gotta go, you gotta go. You hook it up and you go. And you have so much more available to you than what you can put in your truck or your car or what have you. We'll be talking about that in just a minute. Before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is BulkAmmo.com. You know, I, I talk about gold and silver a lot. In fact, I'll be talking about it in just a couple seconds with our sponsor of the day number two today. But in addition to silver and gold, there's the other precious metal category, and that is copper jacketed lead. Um, I'll tell you what. There's certain things that I've learned over the years, looking at various things like barter blankets and stuff like that, that will always work for barter. And one of them's ammo. Definitely one of them's ammo. And that says something about the in, in, intrinsic value of ammunition. And as I always say, if you have a gun and no ammo for it, you have an overpriced club. It really can't perform the functions as a gun without the ammunition. And if you don't train with that gun, you're not going to be able to put, put it to its best and highest use when the time comes. Whether that's defending your family or putting food on the table for your family, it doesn't matter. So you need ammo, you need lots of it, and where can you get it in all of the common calibers and get shipping so fast? It's probably going to get there faster than if I, I'll go this weekend and pick up some ammo. You'll get it quicker if you just order it today from dun, 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 bulkammo.com. That's right, long-term supporter of the show. Really great group of guys over there, great pricing. And but guys, if you've been waiting to stock up on 22s, 
It's back in stock, so you might want to even look at 22 long rifle today and get that stocked up on before it disappears again for God knows what reason. Anyway, check them out today, BulkAmmo.com. Remember, they do offer a discount for members of the Member Support Brigade. Next up today, JM Bullion, to true precious metals, right? Silver and gold. Over the years, I have diversified my holdings and my investments a great deal. And specifically, uh, I have gotten more into things like cryptocurrency. And a lot of times people say, well, where does silver and gold fit in? It fits in the same place that I have recommended it fit in for the last eight years on the air. Nine years on the air, I think, actually. We're going into our tenth year. It'll be ten years in June. And for all of that time, I've pretty much made the same recommendation that has not changed. Five to ten percent of your net wealth in silver and or gold. Because they are completely anonymous forms of wealth with an intrinsic value dating back thousands of years. They have never been worth nothing, and they are one of the true forms of wealth that you know will always be worth something no matter what happens, that you can pass on to your heirs and do business with completely and totally anonymously. There are better forms of money than silver and gold, but there are no better forms of reliable, dependable, intrinsic wealth that can be passed on anonymously. Not even crypto can compare in that way to what silver and gold do. That's why they should be part of your wealth assurance program. 5% to 10% of your net wealth, and if you're going to be doing that, you want to pay as little as possible for the best quality product with the best service and a guarantee that you're going to get what you ordered. If I knew a better company to do that with than Jam Bullion, they would be the sponsor instead of Jam Bullion. I've built this show to where in that particular world of silver and gold, I could have any company I want working for me. I heard from a competitor of Jam Bullion just a couple months ago begging to get on the docket as a sponsor. And I told him, I'm sorry, I found the best in the business. That's JM Bullion, and I won't even talk to anybody else until they'll give me either their CEO or their president's name and private email so I can converse with them directly. I have that at JM Bullion. No other silver or gold shop offered me that level of access to top-level management, so none of the other of them got in front of you. And when I spend my money on silver and gold, I, I deal with Michael over at JM Bullion, who is the president, who will take my personal emails, and that means if anything ever goes wrong, and God, it's been years since anything has... I can get in touch with them on your behalf and make sure it's taken care of. That's JM Bullion. That's why they're a sponsor of the Survival Podcast for so many years. And, hey, discounts on silver and gold are hard to come by. MSB members, you do get a discount on larger purchases from JM Bullion. Check your MSB uh, section and the benefits section to learn more about that today. Just look for JM Bullion. Before we get Mr. Harris on the line, let's get some perspective in history and take a look at the year in history. For this year, we are up to the year 72. Not 1972, but 0072 A.D. And we have from David Verne, the building of the Colosseum. Destruction of Nero's massive palace continues this year, and the land is used for other purposes. On the drained bed of Nero's private lake, Vespian begins construction of the Colosseum which the Romans called the Flavium Amphitheater. It will take eight years to complete and will have a capacity of 50,000 to 80,000 people. The construction of the Colosseum was seen as a populist move by Vespian, since the land was being, it was being built on had been seized by Nero after the Great Fire of Rome. My take by David Verne. The name Colosseum comes from its proximity to the Colossus of Nero. The Colossus was a hundred-foot-tall bronze statue of Nero. 
The Statue of Liberty is 151 feet tall for perspective. The Colossus was turned into a statue of the Roman sun god Sol and will stand until after the 4th century. You know, my take on this is just what Rome, Romans were able to do with construction and building, you know, 2,000 years ago almost, 1950 years ago or something like that. I mean, really think about this. They built a, a coliseum that 50 to 80,000 people could be in attendance in. Think of it like a modern sports stadium in eight years out of stone and concrete with no mechanical equipment, no mechanized equipment, no internal combustion engines, no cranes. That we th they had things they would they used to basically be cranes, but basically manpower. You got to stand in awe of what can be done when man decides something is going to be done. You, you really do, and you got to look at it too and think like, do we take too long to get shit done today? And I I, I think we do. I really do. When you consider what it takes for us to build anything approaching some of these projects that they built back then. And I know, yeah, we have fire suppression and electricity and all kinds. We have, it's a more complicated structure to build, but we also have like steel foundries and, you know, giant cranes that run on electricity or gasoline. And, you know, I mean, we have so much more ability. I'm not sure how much more real capability we have. It'd be interesting to see us try to build some of the structures that the Romans built. Not our modern structures, but even using our modern tools, could we build some of the structures the Romans built? The truth is we still haven't even figured out the true secret to their concrete almost 2,000 years later. Anyway, with that, let me remind you real quick before we get Steve on the line, if you want to help support this show... One of the best ways you can do that is to become a member of my Members Support Brigade. That's the MSB for short. Not the MSP or the TSP, the MSB. I don't know why that always gets confused. But if you're an MSB member, do you know what you get? You get discounts to great companies like the two sponsors of the day today. How about discounts on ammo and gold and silver? Who the hell else even has that? I have that and about 75 other companies, seed companies, plant companies, prepper companies, Cool stuff for your wife, smell good stuff. I mean, homemade soap, you name it. I've got it for you. Discounts on stuff you're going to buy, herbal remedies. I've got it all in the MSB. 50 bucks a year. Use your discounts. Your membership pays for itself. If you are a person who has served in the military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, or as a first responder like an EMT or paramedic, You qualify for a discount, and you get an even better deal. Just email me with TSPC service discount in the subject line. Tell me about your service in one or two sentences, and I'll get back to you. Everybody else, just go to survivalpodcast.com and click on members to learn more. Again, you support the show, you get your money back. I can't really come up with a, with a better product than that. And if you are not a member yet, please consider becoming one today. Maybe get a membership for your spouse or brother or friend or something like that for Christmas. If you want to do that and you're not sure how to do it as a gift membership, email me with uh, MSB gift in the subject line. Actually, TSPC MSB gift because I'll always find the TSPC if it goes in the spam. And uh, I'll get back to you and we'll figure out how to make it work for your individual situation. All right. 
With that, I want to bring on our special guest today. You guys know him and love him unless you're new to the show. And if you are really new to the show, we'll start out with having him introduce himself and tell you a little bit more about him. But for everybody else, probably one of the best-known uh, people on the show, like I said, other than myself. I don't think anybody's ever been on the show more than me, Mr. Stephen Harris. Hey, Steve, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Jack, my man, and the TSP audience, so happy to be back. And today is going to be a Fun one. Yeah, I mean, that's why I planned it for, you know, right before the holiday break and all. I thought it'd be a cool one to, to end on. But what I wanted to do is because, like, I, what I said during the intro segment that you weren't here for, Steve, is, like, the probably the only person that's been on this show more than me or more than you is me, right? Like, you, you've been on this show more than anybody else. So most people do know who you are. But, like, I get people, you know, tuning in for the first time every every day, every other day. So... Kind of give people like you know the two minute backstory on Stephen Harris. What's your background and how did you get into doing what you're doing? Oh God, my background. Well, my uh, my teenage years and early twenties, I was totally devoted to electronics. I went to school for electrical engineering. Ended up uh, going to work for Chrysler in the scientific labs and taught myself. Uh, well, I mean, to get one, to go into double E, you got to have a really strong chemistry background. So, anyways, I taught myself a great deal more about chemistry than electrochemistry, and uh, I became the electrochemistry person for the company. And I've done uh, development work all around the United States on vehicles and other such things. But my lifelong passion. People say, "When did you get started in energy, Steve?" And the answer was in second grade. That's when I started playing around with, you know, the big uh, cylinder dry cells and wrapping wire around a nail and making a magnet. I have loved and lived, eaten and breathed energy my entire life. And I know whatever you want to talk about, gasoline, diesel, electric, batteries, lithium ion, nickel metal hydride, lead acid. Uh, stuff that's going to happen in the future. Like I can tell you right now, we're going to go from what we have now to advanced uh, fission, then to uh, fusion, then to microfusion, then to antimatter energy. That's the way man is going to go over the next couple hundred years. So it's been a lifelong passion for me to be in the energy field. And I did a lot of this in my professional work. But it really lent itself. I found this wonderful niche in the prepper community. I'm a prepper, just like you are, Jack, and everyone, and people, other people listening. But I have some of the most off the wall, <laughs> not just out of the box. I'm talking. I'm on Mars. Ways of doing keep it simple, stupid energy generation for your house for lights and radios and batteries and recharging and everything, how to do that uh, without solar panels, with solar panels, with your car, without your car, with a generator, not with a generator. And because when the power fails, everything that you had that was useful now became useless. And if I can give you back 90% of what you lost, like your TV, your radio, your lights and everything else, you have a much better, more comfortable situation. As I say, 
you don't want to be a participant in a disaster. Because if you are a participant, you will either become a survivor or you will become a casualty. What you want to do is you want to be a spectator in the disaster. And while, like you're sitting in the bleachers and people are floating by below you, you go, uh, I bet that sucks. <laughs> hey, how you want another cold one? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I've done preparedness since 1990s. Uh, I wrote a book called Surviving the Blackout of 2003 because I was working for, on the Warren Police CERT team during the disaster. I spent most of my time in the Emergency Operations Center. I love energy so much that uh, I wrote a book called Sunshine to Dollars, and then I started printing it on my Canon S450 printer, and I had a quart of, a quart of ink, and I had a uh, syringe, and I kept on refilling my cartridge and printing the book and selling it on eBay, and thus started my adventure making knowledge, knowledge publications, com, which is the largest place to go on the internet for every energy book you could possibly think of. I cover everything, and the only thing I don't cover is nuclear energy, and that's because North Korea won't let me in. <laughs> cool, man. Well, you know, it's it, it's been great having you as a council member and bringing all this to it, but when we first started discussing this, we found that we agreed and I would say about 98% of preparedness. But the place we diverged was actually bugging out. Like, you're like, well, right. why the hell would you want to bug out all your cool stuff's at home? And, right. and my response was like, well, I would always rather stay home until staying home is going to get me dead or people in uniforms come and throw me out. And, and <laughs> over the years, you've kind of come around to, to that, and that's why we're talking about bug out trailers today. In fact, um, for those who don't know, I'm the chairman of the board of what Jack started as a disaster response team. It's a 5013C nonprofit, and it's called Citizens Assisting Citizens. And we helped a great deal of people, especially in Harvey. And there were people, I mean, you talk about reason to bug out, reason to leave. Well, people had floodwaters come up within. 10 minutes, and it was four feet of water in their house. And they couldn't get out, and they were stuck. They were on the second floor. They were in their attic. They were on the roof, and then the water went away. And then they had four inches of muck in their house that they had to get rid of before the mold set in. Well, they had no place to sleep, so they were literally sleeping in tents in their backyard. So bugging out might be as far as 10 steps away from your house, or it might be a mile or 10 miles or 100 miles or 1,000 miles. And uh, we just drove around neighborhoods looking for tents, walked up to people and said, hey, how you doing? Good. And it's like, what are you doing? Mucking out our house. You want some shovels? Push brooms? Yeah, sure. You got some? How do you guys set? You see a little one. You got diapers? Uh, a few? You want a couple cases? Yeah, sure. You know, help us with food and water. Yeah, who are you? you know? <laughs> so, um, yeah, bugging out could be as far as your backyard. Yeah. And, 
you just never know when you could lose your house for one reason or another. And I mean, there's no place to go. All the hotels are full, and you got to drive for like ten hours. You might find a hotel that's open. Hopefully, you already have a friend's place. You might be bugging out to a friend's place. Absolutely. And, and, and when you're showing up, it's like, hi, there's a disaster. I'm here. How you doing, brother? And it's like, what are you doing here? Oh, I see that trailer out there? It's full of food and water and gasoline. Hey, buddy, come on in. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was telling you when we were getting ready, like when I was a kid, I was probably around 11 years old one night. We were sitting, nothing looked wrong. And uh, we heard a pounding on the door. And we lived in a very large apartment complex. And we opened the door, and there were like, Lights flashing everywhere, cops and firemen running everywhere, and basically this cops like, get your shit and get out. Why? There's a, a major chemical leak at the chemical plant, uh, you know, like across the street from where you live, and like you got to get out of here because there could be fires, explosions, or you could all be dead from inhalation. Leave. And I remember my dad going, well, how long are we going to be gone for? And the guy told us where we had to go, to, like the minimum distance. He said, go there. There's a staging area. It could be two hours, two days, or two weeks. We'll let you know when you get there. <laughs> now, I mean, so that like that always stuck with me. That's why I always like I am a, a complete in agreement on the principle of, of bugging in. But yep. like for for luckily for us, like they got their shit together and it ended up being about two and a half hours. But, you know, we're sitting there with all our stuff at our house. Um, mm -hmm. We were not prepared for that. We, we I kind of grew up in a prepping family, but we really weren't prepared for that. We were more like, you know, store the water, make sure you have the batteries, all the basic stuff. And uh, you have a generator. It does you no good sitting in your house, by the way, when you're two miles away. Yeah, it's not that far. You can, you can get up in a tree and see your house, but you can't get your shit. And so that always stuck with me. So what you and I came up with, I guess, like a year and a half ago, we spitballed this and said we should get a, sh a show together and just kind of, you know, free freestyle it on setting yep. up bug out trailers. So why don't you lead off with... Why, why even do a trailer? Why not just have, you know, a, a bug-out bus or an, a big RV or something like that? Okay, well, the thing with trailer is, well, the thing is I hear about bug-out, you know, I want a bug-out bag, and what backpack is the best, and I just, like, go, whoa. You know, I did do a bug-out bag video. It's actually at, you, you knew I had to do this, but I did it <laughs> like a year ago. Bugout1234.com is my video on, on bug out stuff. And I, it's like I show you everything you've never seen in a bug out bag, like um, uh, a sawzall blade for cutting off a lock without a sawzall, just by hand. You know, it's like, whoa, yeah, that's a good idea. So um, I got that, and uh, the thing is, you know, people go, Steve, what bag do you have? It's like, look, it's going to be a backpack, a duffel bag, or a tote. <laughs> you know, that's, you, know, you go pick. It's one of those three. Uh, but the thing I, I hate about bugging out in concepts like I'm going to take my backpack and I'm going to walk. You're, you're not going to walk anywhere. Bugging out requires totes. Okay, so you have totes of stuff for bugging out. So it's like you got some jeans, you got some new ones. The old ones are a little, you know, whatever and a little old, but they fit good. They feel good. Take those and put them. In your bug out tote, so you got some uh, pants and underwear and clean shirts. Let me tell you, sanitation and cleaning people up was a big thing we did during Harvey. It's just like, here, here's a thing of baby wipes and everything else, and you know, at least be able to clean yourself and other stuff. But anyways, I think bugging out should be totes, 
And so if something happens, you get the kiddos and everything else. You might have a little backpack for each one of them with just their stuff in it. But then you open the back of the SUV or pick up. You start throwing in totes, a tote of food, a tote of water, a tote of this, you know, power, a tote of uh, inverter, whatever, whatever you're throwing in totes of stuff. Because this whole concept of your 72-hour kit is bullcrap. Uh, you are not going to be out and gone and back and FEMA there in 72 hours. It's going to be a week at least. So you need stuff for two weeks. And since you don't want to trust anyone or depend upon anyone, you got to have what is underneath your own control. So it makes sense to get a trailer. Now, Jack and I are going to talk about trailers anywhere from an open trailer to a small cargo trailer, like a six and a half foot wide by 12 foot long that you can pull with a small car or a small SUV. You know, it only weighs like 800 pounds. You throw 1,000 pounds worth of stuff. As long as you're not going up a really, really steep hill, the car is not going to have any problem pulling it. So the idea is like the alarm bell rings 2 a.m. Then you go, go knock at the door. It's like, ma'am, you know, sheriff deputy, uh, what's up, deputy? What my husband do this time? <laughs> nothing, ma'am. Nothing, ma'am. You, you have to evacuate. Why? You just do. You got ten minutes, or you might be dead. So you, you know, grab everything and with the, you, see if you got a bug out trailer. All you gotta do is like back up to it, hook it up, and go. And let's say you know it, it's a flood. It's a flash flood. So you go five miles down the road, which is really up a bunch of hills, so you're at the church. And the church is like a Red Cross place, or it's just the church, or it's a Walmart parking lot, or it's someplace. And you got this six-and-a-half by 12-foot trailer. Well, in there you got gasoline. If you want to know how to store gasoline, absolutely free show Jack and I did called Fuel and Fuel, Fuel and Fuel Storage at steven1234.com. No sign-up, no nothing, just go listen to it. And I tell you how to store fuel. And I sent Jack some pictures of me storing fuel and traveling in my truck around the United States. I'd actually have 1,400 miles of fuel in the back of my truck. So I'd fill up in uh, Nevada, drive through California, go back out through Arizona without having to buy a penny of gasoline in expensive California. And uh, so carrying your own fuel in five-gallon cans, 15-gallon cans. The nice thing about, listen, you'll love this. So you got gasoline. Most of us have a gasoline vehicle. Jack and I have diesel. Um, but most people have a gasoline vehicle. So you got gasoline. So you got spare gasoline. So you got more gasoline for your vehicle, for your car. And you've seen my How to Power Your House from your car show so you know that you got a thirty thousand dollar generator there that will work for giving you power lights and tv and radios and everything for if you're bugging out and then see now you got gasoline if you got a generator like you're going to your brother's house and he's got a well pump and everything else and you need 240 volts so you bring your generator to your friend's house and you got gasoline for it now cool thing gasoline Coleman dual fuel ovens run on Coleman fuel and gasoline and Coleman dual fuel lantern runs on Coleman fuel or gasoline. So now you have not only a fuel that runs your car, 
gives you electricity, runs the generator, cooks for you, lights for you. You're, if you, you, when you go through big lots, you find like a bunch of one or two gallon red gasoline canisters on sale. Grab them and keep them empty because you might come across someone who's broken down on the side of the road out of fuel and you can transfer two gallons to a tank and you can like give it to him. But before you do that, you go, uh, what do you got to trade, buddy? I got two gallons of gasoline here. So, um, anyways, that's one of the things. That's just my small trailer, most inexpensive type of analogy for you. Because your trailer might be full of tote. So when you get into your uh, church parking lot, the first thing you do is you take all the totes out of the trailer they're waterproof anyways. And then you open up your cots inside the six and a half by twelve foot trailer, and now you've got a sheltered place to sleep. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think like to me, like part of like the whole rationale behind a trailer is it's 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 set up and ready to go. So, you know, people talk about throwing all their stuff in their car now. You might not have time to do as much of that as you think, and then it's amazing how quick that space goes when you have three dogs and a kid and mom and yep. dad. So it's that extra space. And it's the other thing, though, I think is really important is let's say you go out and buy like an old class CRV and that's your bug out vehicle. Yep. They're yep. big. They're bulky. They're a pain in the ass. Right. So do you drive it every day? Are you skilled at driving it? If you have a decent sized trailer, you hook up to your truck or your SUV or even your car. You're using the same vehicle that you yep. use every day. You're comfortable driving when it's raining or you're just ang anxious because you're trying to get out of a certain spot or whatever. I used to have a, a big-ass RV, and let me tell you, when I, in peacetime, if you want to call it that, when I was on a highway and you get in a construction zone where they took the shoulders away and you're in the middle lane and you're like, God oh, damn it, let me get over. But before you can, two semi-rigs pull up on both sides of you and pretend they're on Star Trek and match your course and speed for the next five miles, no matter how much you slow down or speed up, they just stay with you. If you don't drive a vehicle like that all the whole time, you're white-knuckling and shitting bricks the whole time. If you're towing a cargo trailer, like a six- or a ten-foot cargo trailer, it's, it's a lot like just driving your vehicle. Yep. They're easy to back up. You can see around them. You know, they don't take ten, you know, you don't have to have a special place to pull in. Uh, even when I had, like, a 30-foot trailer RV, like, okay, now you need gas. Gee, I wonder if it'll fit under the overhang. Gee, I hope I can get, I can, you know what I mean? Like, when you have a small trailer, you're a lot more agile, and you can just respond to the situation. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, see, there's also something we call signature. You're driving an RV, it's got a signature associated with it that says, I'm warm, I'm cool, I have food and water. I have lots of shit, right? I have all kinds, of, I have a house on wheels. Yep, like, yep. Yeah, so it if makes you a target. Yeah, if you're driving a Honda with a, you know, a, a, an enclosed trailer behind it, a small one, it doesn't have any signature. In fact, you can go on to uh, Vista Print and get some door magnet that says Steve's HVAC and slap it on the side, and it's like, you know, it looks like a work vehicle. No, I actually think that's a great plan. I mean, that's well, you know, I think even with like my big diesel truck or your big diesel truck, if you're pulling a cargo trailer, you look like a guy that does roofing or gutters or a plumber or you know what I mean. You don't look like uh, here's the transient with all their shit packed up. And you mentioned a, a YouTube channel uh, 
Bob yeah. Wells is the guy on it, but I think it's cheap RV living or something. I think he's the guy that I, I've been you know watching from time to time. Is he the guy that's real big on doing the conversions of the cargo trailers? Yes, yes. Bob Wells. Let's say, look, guys, if you want to just use an empty cargo trailer for a bug out thing with totes, you can do that. But there are people who take cargo trailers, anything from like a six by ten all the way to like a 28-foot by 7-foot tall by 8.5-foot wide trailer, and they make it into their own personal RV. Now, me, I have a 28-foot car-hauling cargo trailer that I bought used for $3,000 like in 2005 so I could move my stuff from Michigan to Pennsylvania, and I ended up keeping it. Well, it's okay. It's nice. But the thing is, it's five and a half feet tall, and I'm six foot two. But it's paid for, you know? Yeah. And, and, but the thing is, I like a big, soft, comfy chair with an ottoman because I sit down in it, put a board across my lap uh, between the arms and put the computer there, and I sit there and I zone in, and I just work and work and work and work doing my different stuff. You can't, like fit my chair through the door of an RV. And this no. way I can have my RV the way I want to and see with a cargo trailer you can do anything you want. Um, Justin Rhodes just did this for his Great American Farm tr- Tour. When he built his bunks, he built a bunk for him and his wife and then he built the bunk for the kids. Well the bunks for the kids were a lot shorter because they're little. But the thing is, on the end of each bunk was a vertical closet. So as the children grew, what they could do is they could open up the closet and have a longer bed for the children. So if you got your own trailer, all you need to do is get some uh, circular saw and um, a, a, a drill screwdriver, and you can make your trailer exactly the way you want it You know, for, for the kids to sleep, for you to sleep in it. Just to get out of the rain, you can have a generator. You can put a 5,000 BTU air conditioner in it. You might put solar panels. Yes, I actually said it. You might put solar panels on it. There could be a lot of different things. And the thing is, it's plywood on the floor and plywood on the walls and sometimes plywood on the ceiling. So you can screw everything down. Now, the Jack Spearco of living in a van is Bob (laughs) Wells. B-O-B-W-E-L-L-S. He has a channel on YouTube called Cheap RV Living and CheapRVLiving.com. He interviews, he's been on the road for like 20-some years in uh, another bug-out vehicle. You can get a box truck. You know, you might get a box truck really cheap, and that becomes your bug-out vehicle. But he shows you how to live in a van, a regular van, comfortably. He actually had something called the essentials. And he had this lady, and she was fat, big. (laughs) And uh, she had a Toyota Prius. She has lived out of her Prius for three years. And he interviews her, and she tells you everything, including about taking a dump in the backseat of a Prius. The way she had everything organized was magnificent. It was, she was like Rain Man 
for packaging and autom- and maximizing space. And basically, she'd go to a campsite or BLM land or whatever, and she would op- get out a folding table, get out a folding chair, uh, have a pop-up cover and everything else. So she- her place where she would spend her time was outside. Uh, and yeah. the car was just merely yeah. to haul. But if this big woman can tell you how to take a dump in a Prius for three <laughs> years. Okay, she's done this for three years. Oh, there God. is a, a tremendous amount of stuff you can learn from Bob Wells' videos. I cannot say enough good things about the quality of this man and his mission and what he does. You will get stuck watching his stuff and have pen and paper because you will get so many great bug out ideas from him. It's like if you want to know what type of portable toilet works best, uh, there's one called Dometic, and then there's a different one. And you want to use the, uh, the, the bottle of enzymes and bacteria that breaks everything down into a liquid in your little toilet, or do you want to use a luggable loo, or do you want to get some of that blue stuff that you put into the toilet, that kills, they see, the blue stuff kills the odor and kills the germs, but you still have solids in there. Whereas if you got bacteria, they break down the toilet paper and the solids, and you just have a spout on your black tank, and you go into the bathroom of a rest area, and you just literally spout on it, you pour it down the toilet, and you flush it. Hmm. So, you know, you know, everything like that and, you know, different lights and different situations and uh, different bed arrangements. Uh, these guys, you think a tiny house is ingenious on how they use the space? These people are living in a van or yeah. literally a 6 by 12, 96 square feet of space. And they are the people to see, like, how to optimize absolutely everything. You know, I I think one of the things you hit on that's really important with this type of of configuration, because, so here's my view on this. If you want to live this way, go ahead. I'm not doing it. I'm kind of like you when people do the whole friction fire thing. Glad you know how to do that. I believe in better living through chemistry. Um, I like my big-ass house. I'm not going to live. But I also am big on, like, I don't like to spend a lot of money and time and energy on something that only fills one role. So, like, if I go camping or if I have, like, a deer lease or I end up – I'm always shopping for for pieces of land that are kind of remote pieces of land, and I can use this that way, then that doubles up on it. But what I think actually makes that work with these small spaces is what you said about you really live outside of it. It's your nexus, right? So you can right. cook in there, you can sleep in there. If it's freezing cold, you can go in there and be warm. So yeah. like one of the photos I chose for today's uh, like episode is a cargo conversion, but it's one of the cargo trailers where instead of like a door that opens like a typical door, probably similar to yours, it drops down. And it's yeah. not like for car carriers, it's not that big. But like it would be like for motorcycles or uh, you know, UTVs or something like that. Yeah. Well, what the, the guy that has it did with it is he used some aircraft cables so that you can drop it down and it's level with the trailer. Well, guess what you have now? You have a deck. You have a deck. You're out of the mud if it's rainy and muddy. You have outdoor space. 
the door is almost as, like, probably a third of the size of the square foot of the trailer. Your yep. living space just got 33% bigger by opening the door. I sent you some pictures. In there is my family's 1963 Sierra 2 camper, and that's what it had built into it. The back end opened up as a deck, and there was a ba- you know canvas that went around it. I used bed sheets in a frame, but uh, the canvas is too heavy and too old. But yeah, there are there. You just watch Bob Wells' videos and watch other people's videos that YouTube. You know, YouTube goes, "Wow, you're a lot, watching a lot of Bob Wells' videos. You might like some of these." And, you know, they'll list them for you. And hey, you know, just bookmark the ones that you love and or download the videos and uh, keep a notepad and start writing things down and. Start putting together your bug out trailer, and it's like go, you want a bug out trailer. Just be patient. Just go on Craigslist. Yeah. I, so, I mean, what 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 di- what can go wrong with a camper? There's wheels, there's <laughs> bearings, and there's an unframe. <laughs> hold on, hold on. No, what what won't go wrong uh, with a camper, right? Basically, I mean, <laughs> well, basically, it's like rust. Is it rusted on the bottom? Yes yeah. or no. Do the wheels spin? When was the last time the bearings were greased? How old are the tires? Are they sun sun cracked or are they new? And, and, and then what type of hitch and hitch arrangement do you have? Is everything in alignment and every? I mean, there's compared to a car, it's easy to check out a trailer and to see if it's going to be any good. And if you have your trailer outside. Go buy the wheel covers that cover the wheel so the sun doesn't kill the rubber because I have had that happen to me. And, you know, those tires can be expensive. But, you know, so, yeah, just go get it. Even you said, you know, full-size RV. Maybe one of your friends or neighbors is like, hey, I just got transferred to Arizona, and uh, I got my 10-year-old RV here, and, we can't take it, and I don't want to spend the time to sell it. You want it? Yeah, sure. You know, the RV might have some negatives to it, but when it's FREE and it's working, why the heck not? Sure, sure. I do think, though, you, you sound like you're gravitating like I am to, like, the, the best all-around solution for the most amount of people is probably converting a cargo trailer. Yes. Now... Okay, one part of my bio, I said I was a development engineer for Chrysler Corporation. I have, man, years, 24-hour-a-day years, testing vehicles in climatic chambers, on dynamometers, wind tunnels, and out in Arizona and Bemidji, Minnesota, and pulling trailers up 9% grades and fully loaded and, you know, just like making the car or the truck or the Jeep work as hard as it can. Now, if you have, like, say you got a Chrysler minivan, what can I pull? Not much. you got a Honda Civic, what can I pull? Not much. You know, all these vehicles that you say that, you know, it used to be in 1976 when you bought a, a car, it came with a trailer hitch, and it had a 350 four-barrel carburetor on it. Yeah. That's, not, that's not true today. So what you have to know about, you know, from my life expertise in the field. The thing is you need a very lightweight trailer and you don't want to put like a ton of stuff into it because if it's a lightweight trailer um, 
like a six and a half foot by ten. The Honda Civic will pull it, and you can put stuff into it, and it'll still pull it. But you got to be careful of hills, because while you can literally a Honda Civic could literally pull a twenty thousand pound trailer down the road until it got to a hill. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, literally. I'm no, kidding. I understand. No, I understand because I think about like things I've. I've manually moved as a like a human being. Push, you know, I've pushed boat trailers, you know, but I don't push them uphill. There's a big difference there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just be aware in your Honda Civic if you come to a big hill or something, you might have to drop down into second gear, go 25 miles an hour. The engine will be spinning about 5,000 RPM. <laughs> You're going to go, wow, this is nice. Well, it, the car loves it. It's fine. Okay, second gear. Even first gear, going up the hill, that's what it was designed to do. And you can still pull your trailer. And keep in mind, you're going to have to go downhill, so you might be riding the brakes going downhill as well. And the other thing is, what time of the season? Now, if you try to pull a trailer up a hill with a Honda Civic, and it's fall, spring, or winter in uh, a non-desert environment, the vehicle's going to be fine. But if you are trying to go up Towns Pass and out of Death Valley or up Baker's Grade out of uh, Baker's, California, and it's July and August and it's over 100 outside, first thing that's going to go is you're going to have to roll down the windows and turn off the air conditioner and keep an eye on the temperature of your radiator and just you know do low and slow in the heat and go up. And if it gets too warm, what you do is you li- stop the vehicle, lift your hood all the way up, and uh, let- make sure the fans are on, which are probably electric in a Civic, and rev the engine a little bit, like, you know, 1,500, 2,000 RPMs, with the car pulled over, the hood up. And that will move the coolant through the en- engine and through the radiator real quickly, and it will allow the maximum amount of air to come in and then leave. See, normally your air is coming in the front and going down. So if you open your your hood, the air and the heat can do what it wants to do, and that is go through and then go up and out. So you can cool down your vehicle that way, and then, you know, this is going to take 15, 20 minutes, hop in it, and then go slowly back up the hill. So you know, that, you're making me remember so. When I was a kid, we found this gremlin, an old AFC gremlin, like yep. somebody abandoned and we got it running. It was like somebody like drove it out in the middle of the bush and just left it there. And yep. we got it running. It would overheat all the time. So we took the hood off it. Yeah. <laughs> and we used it like a dune buggy. We drove all over the mountain with it. When we were kids, you know. We had this car that like we I don't even know what happened to it. Like it was just like an everybody car. We just left it. If you took it on the road, you would have got pulled over. So we just kept it in the mountain. But that works. But anyway, like you're you're saying all this stuff, and what I'm thinking is the majority of people in this audience, because I've actually met a lot of people in this audience probably have at least one vehicle that's like a mid-size SUV or, a, you know, a, a full-size pickup. And as soon as you're there, like cargo trailers, like there's not really a cargo trailer you can't pull. And like you, when you were talking about yours that you got for like three grand, I was thinking, okay, so he had to move from Minnesota or where, 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 Michigan to uh, Pennsylvania. He paid three grand for this trailer that he still has. And I've actually moved that far, and I know that renting anything that will that will make that move costs more than three grand. Yep. So 
you basically get it for free at that point because you have to move your stuff anyway. Yep. I, I thought, like, what could I find without even looking hard? I just went on Craigslist here, local Dallas area. I found a 2014 cargo trailer listed like new, uh, 16 by 7 by 7 made in 2014, 4500 bucks. Yep. Now, that's the guy's asking price. Right. And you know it. You know you can push a guy down. But here's the beautiful thing. It's silk screened with Delta Construction Group on it with a <laughs> phone number and everything. It's probably a company going out of business. But you talk about stealth. You, yep. You're not you're not going out and getting uh, some magnets from Craigslist that, or uh, from a Vistaprint at this point. This looks like because that's what it is. And if you converted that anywhere you went with that, well, it's just a it's just a contractor's trailer. Yep. And I mean, sixteen by seven. What is that? That's uh, like a uh, hundred and twelve square feet. That's a pretty decent area to work with. Yeah, let alone seven feet tall. That's good. Yeah, seven foot tall. But it's not so tall that you're worried about, like, can I get into the gas station or whatever? Because, like, when I had my RV, I worried about that. And then the tall thing. So this is a weird thing. Like, you know wind tunnels, so this won't surprise you. But I had this relatively small RV uh, with my Dodge pickup, and it was, a like, a 2003, and it was the V8, but it was whatever Dodge's smallest V8 was that year. And... Uh, it was a really tall, kind of blocky RV, and it struggled at times pulling it, you know, when you were trying to pull like 70 miles an hour, nothing to do with hills, just wind resistance. Yep. Because you're dragging this block that's like, you know, 14 foot freaking tall through the wind, where with a cargo trailer, you've got this lower profile, they're always rounded, they tow beautifully, because that's what... and. It, I mean, to me, if I was going to live in some, I'd convert a, a cargo trailer before I do one of these rolling tiny houses. I yes. think these rolling tiny houses are a disaster waiting to happen. They like, are. I, I want to be, like you said, I want to be the observer, not the participant in a disaster. And I think if you have a, you know, a, a 27-foot-long cabin, 8-foot wide, with a loft on a trailer... You're a disaster waiting to be a participant in it sooner yeah. or later. <laughs> I see those TV shows. I'm looking at the wheels. The wheels are, like, scrunched way down. And they go, yeah. oh, we're going to go travel the world, the United States yeah. in a tiny house. No, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. Well, they mentioned the tiny house weighs 12,500 pounds. It's like, lady, unless you got a diesel truck like I am, you're not pulling that thing anywhere. And you darn well better <laughs> have three axles underneath of it with full-size vehicle tires on it, not those damn little trailer tires, because it ain't going to make it. You can so make I, I, I think those, those, those tiny houses on wheels, the only purpose is to get around zoning. Yep. That's the only valid point to those things. Otherwise, or like I, I guess if you were going to live in a place and you were thinking in 10 years I might move, well, you yep. could hire somebody with a semi to move it for you for less than you could move your own shit. So yep. I get that, but the the whole mobile tiny house thing is a myth. It's 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 nonsense. So let's dig a little bit more into these cargo trailers. I think like we have to we have to dial down on something in the show where it's going to be you know ten hours long. Let's, um, let's dive you, into what you should have in your trailer. Let's do that. So what do you think? Like if you if you you've got your box trailer, either it's something big like I just found, or it's smaller because you have a smaller vehicle. And let's start out with you're not going to really convert it into like an RV type thing. You, you, right. You've just gotten started. You want to at least make sure you have shit in there that you can deal with when you get where you're going. What do you, what do you think your, your kind of your table about, you know, T-O-N-E kind of looks like? 
<sighs> well, what you want is that you got to have food, you got to have water, you got to have a way of cooking the food. You're going to need a form of shelter, whether that's a trailer or a tent, uh, or you might bring hammocks with you and sleep between trees. Uh, you're going to put the totes in, take it out, maybe go on the trailer. You're going to need electricity. Electricity will either be from the car or a battery bank that you put into uh, the trailer. You could uh, recharge off the vehicle if you thought it was going to be long-term. There are possible solar options for you, especially if you're in the right area of the country. You're going to have to have sanitation, which means you're going to need to – you can go pee in the woods, but you're going to need a place to sit down and go poo. That could be a luggable loo, five-gallon bucket uh, with motor oil and the pool chlorine in it to kill the smell. You're going to want to be able to wash, and there's battery-operated hand showers where you can take a five-gallon bucket, let it sit in the sun, warm up, put it in there, and shower yourself. So you're going to need to have that. And then you're going to want to have extra fuel for the vehicle. As I mentioned, gasoline, gasoline for the car, gasoline for the generator, gasoline for your dual-fuel Coleman stove, gasoline for your dual-fuel Coleman lantern, uh, you know, all of the good, good gasoline for trading as well. I was like, yeah, I got a gallon of gasoline. What do you got? You got any toilet paper? You trade real quickly. Um, so what? those are the things that you basically need. And it's like, Jack, how would... What would you put in yours? What's the first priority of what you would put into your trailer? Um, well, before I even get into that, I wanted to give people something to keep an eye out for because you keep mentioning totes. Probably the best ones I've found for durability and long-term and stackability are the ones you get at Home Depot that are black and yellow. You probably know exactly what yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, I got a half dozen of them. Yeah. Right? So. They sell, depending on how much they feel like charging that day, anywhere from like 12 bucks to like 30 bucks at Home Depot. If you watch every once in a while, and I, when I say once in a while, I mean like once a quarter, most of your Home Depots will have a stack of those things out like, you know, kind of in the display area at the front of the store, somewhere yep. totally disconnected from the storage area. The last time they had them out there, I bought eight of them because they were 588 Yep. And those are the most durable ones I have found without getting stupid on price. And the fact that the top is recessed, yes. when you stack them, they stay stacked, you know, in a in a in a shed or something. But in a trailer, because they're recessed like that, if you stack them like that and then it, you know, attach them to a wall with like a ratchet strap or something, they're not going anywhere. And no, they they're like Legos going together. Exactly. So I wanted to, I was just looking it up to see what they are. Best price I could find at them right now is like 13 bucks. But yep. if you wait, and I just, the other thing is with totes, if you don't mind if they're red and green, I bet you're going to be able to get some really cheap ones in January. Yep. Because everybody puts out red and green for Christmas shit. And about a week after Christmas, week after New Year's usually, when pretty much everybody's put all their stuff away, all the ones that are left, they mark down. So I, I thought I'd throw that out. To me, though, like the most important things initially is going to be able to shelter yourself, to yep. be comfortable, yep. to feed yourself, provide yourself water, provide yourself energy. So I, what are you going to put into your trailer to keep yourself dry and keep yourself comfortable? So, I mean, the first thing is I'm going to make sure I have clothing for every member of the family, and yep. I'm going to make sure I have some level of shelter beyond the trailer itself. So, so in my case, we have a really nice high-end tent. Yeah, on, on sale, 
in you know in September when it's not camping season on clearance. You, you'll find it, buy it, and get it right. Absolutely. So I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna want to have that because again, even if I use the trailer to stay inside of, the more space I can create for myself, the better. Another thing that I'm going to do is I'm not going to rely on my totes to be 100% waterproof. So I'm going to make sure I have tarps. Because, yep. And I don't need the super heavy-duty, really expensive tarps for this. I just, and I'm not talking about tarp and stuff when it's in the back of your truck. That I would go a much heavier tarp with. Just something that when I take, if I take my totes out and I have my kind of my camp setup area over, I can throw it over the top of that. I can tuck them underneath. That way, if it rains, it, it, it sucks to have like all your clothes or like your toilet paper all get wet. That's that's really a valuable thing. Sanitation is going to be huge, so I'm going to have a solution for that. Okay, with, what, what's your solution for sanitation? A, a basic porta potty, I think, is the easiest thing to use in that situation. Uh, to me personally, talking about an actual porta potty like you get from Walmart or online that is a, you know a water reservoir and then yep. a black fluid reservoir, or are you talking about a luggable loo, the, what goes on top of a five gallon pail? No, I'm talking about an actual small little porta potty. Like it looks like a little miniature toilet without a tank on the back of it. Uh, that's very comfortable for people. I think though, like one of the ways. To really make that work is like you use that when you have no choice. Right. If you're camping at a campsite and they have a toilet that you have to walk 50 yards to go use, go use it. If you're at a place where you can go visit a tree when you have to pee, go visit a tree when you have to pee. Use that as a like that is like the minimum amount of use, but it's there when you need it. Uh, I didn't know about this enzyme stuff you're talking about that breaks things down, so you can dump it into like a. Uh, yep. uh, like a, like a, just a toilet at a rest stop. Yep. That's something that if, if I was going to actually, so we're starting out with like, you're not really converting it. You're just using it as a trailer. If I was going to move to the step where I'm going to start actually making it something I can live out of a little bit, I'm probably going to put a black water tank in it. And that sounds like the way that I would go. Yep. Uh, it's, it's, it's enzymes and bacteria and see everything going into there. Uh, all your poo and all of your toilet paper is an organic molecule, which may, means it's made out of carbons, hydrogens, and oxygen. Your pee is all water, and it's got minerals. It's got salt in it. Now, those aren't going to break down. The bacteria are literally going to try. And I mean, I've talked with the top bacteriologists at uh, some of these companies like Ridex, the bacteria is literally going to decompose all the organics into carbon dioxide and water. So it really, really tries its hardest to break everything down. And so that's why everything gets liquefied by these enzymes and bacteria, so you can then have an easy disposal of your uh, waste material. Now, Jack, you just mentioned toilet. Toilet takes water talking about sanitation how and what are you going to put your water in and use it and anything else that goes with it what's up your mind on that well okay so if we're if we're sticking with we're just loading up the trailer uh i'm a big fan of the the tanks that you actually use for gas that are made for water the 30 gallon uh barrels so yep. i mean one of those holds a lot of water but my, my go-to, and it's always been my go-to for water storage, is any type of soft drink, juice, whatever bottle that's a yep. heavy plastic. 
I, I believe if you store water in milk jugs that you will get karma in the form of wet shit. They will, yep. they will fail. If you use two-liter soda bottles, if you use, like, treetop apple juice bottles, if you use, like, Arizona iced tea bottles, they're made to hold things that are acidic and or carbonated, so they are much tougher than your... T- like, that's why if you just get even something like a treetop apple juice bottle, and you just feel the plastic compared to, you know, an Ozarka one-gallon water bottle. Yes. It's much more durable. And and what I learned a long time ago, and a totally different thing, is I had one of the blue, um, they look like a gas can, but they're for water. Yep. Five gallons. I filled it with water threw it in the back of my truck because I was going surf fishing. And that way, when I was down there, I'd have clean water. I could at least rinse my hands off, get the salt off myself, all that stuff. Just put it in the back of the truck. And it was stored in a pretty reasonable banner. It wasn't blowing around back there and banging around. When I got to the beach, did a little bit of fishing, and thought, I'll get my, my, my nice fresh water. I pulled the can to the tailgate to open the spigot, and it was pretty light because it was empty. Mm-hmm. And what had happened is just the friction of the vibrating of the bed of the truck had caused the seam on the bottom of the can to fail. Mm-hmm. So I don't recommend those anymore. So if you want to carry a lot of water, you recommend, like, you can get them, like, 15 to 30 gallons. Those rubber, uh, not rubber, they're uh, EDPM, I think, uh, or HTPE, HTPE uh, blue barrels. Those yep. don't fail. Blue or translucent white, 15 gallons, found on Craigslist, or search for barrels and drums on maps.google.com. Uh, you can get them used and cleaned out and get the ones that had a food product. They'll have, like... Coke syrup or pine, concentrated pineapple, or they'll use get the ones that had that in them and that they washed out and cleaned out for you, and use those. The thing about 15 gallons is water weighs 8.3 pounds per gallon. This makes it about just over 100 pounds, but you can lug that around. You can oof it and move it, and there's two big handles on the top. So you always want to, you can store, let's say, two or three of these in the trailer. But then you also want to have a couple five-gallon and two-and-a-half-gallon containers yep. because you can siphon off the big ones into the small ones, take the small ones, go out to your picnic table with your Coleman stove, and you can use the water for drinking and or for cooking. So check this out. So check this out. There's a company called Uline, and yep. they make these two-and-a-half-gallon carboys. I, I don't know how much I would advise you to store water in them because they're pretty durable, but they're not as durable as your barrels. But they have a great little spigot on them, and you got four of them. I got four of them eight feet away from me right now. Yep, They are one of the best tools I've found because they have that spigot. And I, you know, I actually discovered them because I make mead, and I make small batch mead. I make like a gallon of mead at a time, and you need to bottle it. Well, yep. running a siphon hose from a one-gallon you know, jug is just a pain in the ass. Yep. So I saw these things, and my first thought was to make fermenters out of them. And they yep. make an okay fermenter. You know, you make a little bit bigger of a batch. But when I realized how well they were for bottling, so you just siphon straight into them out of your bottle, set yep. them on the counter, and you just fill your bottles. You just turn the yep. – boom. And I'm like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Well, no, no. So whenever I go camping, fishing, hunting, anything now – even if I don't have water in those, I always throw one of them in, in my truck or, you know, what have you, because you fill it up and you've got basically a portable sink. And they're like, what are they, like five bucks or something? They're cheap as hell. 
Yeah, they are. And it's about the same for shipping. Uline is the most fabulous. Uline is one of the best run companies in the United States. They have warehouses everywhere, and most places where you're going to be, they will ship to you by UPS ground, and it will be there the next day. They have tremendous customer service. Their prices are a little bit higher than it's cheap, okay? It's not outrageous. It's not high-priced. It's just a little bit more than cheap. But they have such good service and such a huge variety of things. You know, one of the things you're going to want to have on your totes is labels and stickers. Labels and stickers from Uline are great. You can get colored dots and put blue on everything that's water, red on everything that's fuel, and yellow on everything that's clothing. So the next step in our bug out trailer is hold, hold on, I want to I want to do one more thing on water, right? So like a lot of times people say there's no water and there's freaking water everywhere, but drinking right. it will kill you or make you sick or worse. And I've always said if you give a person who is who is going to die of dehydration a choice to drink bad water or die of dehydration, they're going to drink the bad water every time. So yep. you you need a way to purify water. We can boil and things like that. But filtration with a Berkey works. The problem is Berkey's pretty expensive thing to have sitting in your bug-out trailer and not be using. And buying a second one to do that with doesn't make a lot of sense. But they make them out of that pretty stainless steel because when you set it on your countertop or whatever and people come over, what's that? It's my water filter. Oh, it's pretty. They like it. But that's not – the stainless steel container isn't what actually makes the water safe. Right. It's the filter. Well, the filters yep. aren't that expensive. And so what I've done is they come in pairs, so you buy two, you get two five-gallon buckets, you drill a hole in one, you make sure it works, you put the filter in it, you test it, you put the little priming tool in it, you put the two buckets inside of each other, you put the lid on it, and you can store extra shit in there. Now you've got a portable Berkey for the price of the filter and a couple five-gallon buckets. Is it food grade? I'm using it to filter water with in an emergency. I don't give a shit. It's not for storing water. Mm-hmm. It's just to filter water. So you get those buckets for about 3 bucks a piece. So yep. for, for all in under 30 bucks, maybe 40 bucks with the price of the filters, you've got a portable Berkey filtration system, and you've got two filters. What that means is if one finally clogs up, gives up the ghost, whatever, you pop the other one in. But you can fabricate any other thing that will hold water with a drill into a second filter whenever you want, or you can give it to somebody, you can barter with it, and that makes sense, but having a $400, you know, big Berkey set up in your bug-out trailer, that doesn't. Yeah, we just shipped uh, $2,500 in water filters to um, Puerto Rico. And uh, actually, we got them from Amazon. I used T-Spaz before we bought them. Thank you. <laughs> actually, Thank you. I used T-Spaz before we bought $10,000 in generators that we shipped there as well. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jack, next on the subject is food and preparing the food and cooking the food. You know, what is what is in your mind, and I'll fill in, what's in your mind for food and the way to cook it? Well, I think you've you got to look at kind of two sides of this. You have the short-term, short-duration, immediate need, yep. and, and that can be – addressed with simply having a tote of easily prepared food that fits in your eat-where-you-store and store-where-you-eat. 
and one big tote of that, you should be able to get by for about a week on if you have to. Uh, having some immediate gratification, you know, mountain house, t tear the bag open, put the hot water in to eat, that's probably beneficial too, and that's your kind of your short-term stuff. And I would shy away from storing that in your trailer. I would make that one of the totes you're going to pick up and throw in there when you got to go. And the reason for that is, as you know, I teach eat where you store and store where you eat. And that tote should be basically your restocking for your pantry. So yep. that, for us, those totes live up in, we have two or four huge closets upstairs. They live in there. The pantry is bare. We go up, it comes out of there, and then they get replaced. So that would be a real easy thing to grab and go. If you wanted long-term or the ability to feed other people, I'd actually kick that back to you because I think that's where you get into things like, you know, grains or flours or corn. This is what feeds the world. It yep. stores and beans. It stores almost infinitely. Yep. It doesn't have to be specially bought from Safe Castle or whatever. I like some of the products they have and all that's fine for like the, the, the last ditch of your long-term storage for the prepared foods. But the world lives on beans, rice, and corn. And yes. you don't need to do anything except throw it in a bucket, put a lid on it. I'm of the school of thought, you throw it in a bucket, you, but the bucket has a Mylar bag. The Mylar bag has an O2 absorber. We seal the Mylar bag with, the, uh, with, a, with an iron. Mm -hmm. um, and then we close the bucket up, and we don't seal the bucket with an O2 absorber, so we don't have to be a gorilla to get the lid off. Um, right. But, like, here's another hack with that. If you go to the, the, the sporting goods store in about another month and a half, when hunting season's over, you will see that they'll have those, you know, hot hands, hand warmer things on sale for next to nothing to get rid of them. Do you know that those are nothing but O2 absorbers, Steve? Yeah, I know. I could tell you the chemistry in detail. Yeah. All it is is there's a chemical in there that makes iron rust really fast. That's, that's all. It's an iron filings. And when you rust iron, you get iron oxide. I'm talking to a chemist, so you know that. Well, if you get iron oxide, there had to be some place for the oxygen to come from. And if it's in a sealed container, that's the oxygen in that container. So you can literally just take that, pitch that in there, seal your Mylar bag. But, I mean, I know you've done some work with, like, tortillas and stuff. You want to talk about, like, how you could feed a lot of people with that, or even, I guess you had bread from gasoline as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, that's, you forgot about bread from gasoline. I'm the one that made the statement that you like so much. It's cheaper, it's cheaper to feed your neighbors than it is to shoot them. So uh, one of the things you might do is do what Jack just said with beans and rice, and while it's not going to be your main food, anyone in the camping ground or the bug-out area or the parking lot They're going to be like, hey, you got foods. Like, yeah, you want some? What do you got? Beans and rice. Yeah, we'll take it. You know, <laughs> come back for dinner. What do you got? Beans and rice. Okay, we'll take it. <laughs> Believe no, me. No, 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 no. We had beans and rice for lunch. It's That's different. Right. It's different for dinner. Now we have rice and beans. Right, right, right. <laughs> the thing is, if they, if, they, if they won't eat it on day two, they will eat it on day three. So... Uh, white flour tortillas is one of my favorite. If you go to Stephen1234.com, sign up for the family preparedness class. It's all audio, so you can listen to it as you're driving. I go over the white flour tortillas in detail, and it's nothing uh, but like a scoop of flour, a dollop of oil, a couple of pinches of salt, and water to make a dry dough, 
roll it out with a wine bottle, make it as thin as you can, throw it on a hot grill. You know, it's going wide open, full bore, and it's about 10 seconds on each side just until you get brown and black splotches on it. And then you've just made an instant bread, and it's delicious, especially if you're adding salt to it. It's really, really delicious. White flour stores forever. Okay, I got white flour downstairs from 1994. It's still good. When people go, oh, it's not nutritious, bugs won't even eat it. Bugs not eating your food is a good thing, <laughs> to my thinking, okay? You need calories, not nutrients. So the white flour tortillas are absolutely great. You can put honey on it. You can put jam on it. You can put peanut butter on it, Nutella on it. You can put your rice and beans you in it. put your rice and beans on it. Like I said, that feeds the world. Half That's the world lives on rice, beans, and some sort of bread. Yes. And, and I'm not – neither one of us are advocating this is the way that you should eat every day of your life. What right. we're talking about is surviving – in a shitty situation, and let me tell you something, in a shitty situation, a freshly made, warm, flour tortilla with rice and beans on it, seasoned with a little bit of salt and pepper, tastes pretty damn good. Yeah, Jack, you know, that reminds me. I was giving this class to these uh, government, military type of people, and they were asking me about, uh, you know, food and stuff, and and they were talking about lightweight packing stuff, you know, don't have time to stop and eat, barely. And I go, oh, I got the best thing for you. And they go, well, what is it? I said, well, we got lunch. I'll go to the store and pick it up and come back after lunch. And they're okay, so we come back after lunch. And I give them a 20-ounce uh, cup, like what you would have at a party, a plastic cup. And they go, okay, what's this? And I give them a packet of instant pudding, chocolate instant pudding. And I go, okay, pour the pudding into the cup. I go, look at the pudding instructions. How much water does it say to add? And it says, you know, cup and a half. I go, double that. Add three cups of water. So they add three cups of water to it. And so now it's like really, it's like a thin milkshake, okay? And got some body to it and everything else. I go, here. He goes, what's that? I go, non-dairy coffee creamer. He goes, okay. I go, do you know what that's made of? What's it made of, Steve? It's margarine powder. It's basically 3,200 calories per pound. And let's say you, you know, you're on foot, you're doing whatever you guys are doing, and you need a lot of calories because you're working like crazy. Say you want 2,000 calories. Just pour the margarine powder into the pudding, mix it up, and drink it. And they, we did that. I said, okay, that's a 2,000-calorie drink right there. And he tasted it. He goes, oh, that's good. I go, yeah, that margarine powder really makes it feel rich, doesn't it? He goes, yeah, this is delicious. And he drank the whole thing. And I said, he says, that was 2,000 calories? And I go, that was 2,000 calories. You could have made it 1,000 calories. You could have made it 3,000 calories. You could have made it anything that you want. But for the price of a disposable cup, some instant pudding from Big Lots, which will store forever, some water, and some non-dairy coffee creamer. Um, it works absolutely fabulous. Now, I got the idea from Shackleton and other people who've been polar uh, explorers. Every book there's been on polar explor exploration, I've read. Every book, like, 
our boat was in the ocean. We got hit by a whale, and in 30 seconds we were in the life rafts, and the boat was sinking. I've read all those. So they, Shackleton, they would stop, and they would make hot cocoa, and they would literally take an entire stick of butter, <laughs> melt it in the cocoa. So literally a quarter pound of butter. Butter is about 3,200, 3,400 calories per pound. It's pure fat. And they were burning eight to 12,000 calories per day. They couldn't take in enough calories. And they were doing this. And so, like, I did it. I put half a stick of butter into a hot cocoa. <laughs> oh, my God, was that ever so delicious. And it was just great. So, Well, um, you know, you bring a good point up there, too, because, like, comfort's important. And I know yep. you, you're not a coffee drinker, but you, you now understand that some people have to have their coffee. And I'll, yeah. I'll tell you what, that non-dairy creamer stuff, coffee powder crap, it's good for certain things. Like when I was in the Army, like you, you got that and you got your little uh, your, your, your freeze-dried strawberry packet. And you open that up and you put some water in there and you added that and it made strawberries and cream. It, yep. it, it's ass for making coffee. So... Yep. I have people, we've been through it together, like, I want to run my coffee maker on a battery. No, you don't. You want to boil water and get a French press. But the thing you're going to be missing if you like creaming your coffee is some sort of a decent creamer. Yeah. I cannot emphasize enough, there are two different cans that you'll see when you go to this part of the supermarket. One is condensed milk, and the other one is evaporated milk. You don't want the condensed milk. It's like milk caramel or some shit. Evaporated milk is basically regular milk with 60% of the water removed. Well, that's a good thing. It actually creams coffee very well. So if you have coffee and a French press and a couple cans of that, you're good for a few days of being able to have your coffee. And, you know, I don't really drink much coffee anymore. I've gone to tea now. But when I was drinking coffee heavily, it's an addiction. Caffeine's an addiction. And if you want to break an addiction, that's great. In the middle of a disaster, not a good time for it. <laughs> not, a, not a good time for it. It's just not, you know. When the kids are screaming and crying and the dog's barking and, you know, you're living in a trailer tent or something, it's not a good time to be breaking that addiction. And, you know, if you want to be the popular person that gets all the cool barter items when you're dealing with shit like this, hot coffee will get you there. Yeah, you just might be in the parking lot of a high school where there's a Red Cross shelter. And there's a lady in charge of the shelter, and she's just hectic. She's been running around for two days. You go brew a cup of coffee for her, and you take it up to her in a styrofoam cup, a big 20-ounce, or you go, you look like you could use a cup of really good coffee. That, that person is going to love you. You're going to be in front of the line for everything. <laughs> So, I mean, huge, huge barter. And, of course, the best coffee you can get is Holler Rose from Nicole Sauce. we got to throw out a little pitch for her okay. there. Nicole is, is the ultimate. I worked with her during the uh, uh, Hurricane Harvey relief. That woman is a one-person dynamo and sharp and, and just, like, grabs things and just runs with it. Next thing I know, it's already done and everything. She was great, was a great communicator, great everything she did for us during uh, Hurricane Harvey with uh, CAC team. So I can't say enough. What's going to be your method that you would like to see people use for cooking or heating water, etc., 
in your bug out trailer. Well, I, I like what you said about the Coleman stoves that use um, the uh, the gasoline. I, I, I really I don't own one of those. I own like what I think is the best outdoor cooking appliance on the planet. So much so that there's times when I'm like, you know, I want to make my breakfast on my deck next to my pool. And I, and I take it up there and throw it on the table, and I make breakfast next to my pool. And it, it, I don't feel like I've downgraded from my my stove in the house. And it, it's made by Camp Chef. Yep. And it uses a you know a typical you can get a, a propane bottle adapter for it that uses a typical like for your grill. Um, and I'm gonna have propane on me anyway, so that would yep. be my at least my short term solution because you can cook like your city. I have a sixteen hundred dollar you know, borderline edging toward commercial stove because I love to cook. The burner on that Camp Chef thing, which is about a hundred bucks, is every bit as powerful as the the main burner on my stove in my kitchen. And it's just the level of quality that you get out of that. Um, I like rocket stoves because you can pick shit up and throw them in them and they burn. But in a lot of these disasters, you know, you may not be able to find a lot of stuff like that. Um, knowing how to fabricate one out of some rocks or bricks is probably not a bad idea because you can usually find some stuff to do that. But propane is kind of my go-to for cooking. Okay, so we can cook either with Coleman fuel, gasoline, in a a dual-fuel oven, or, uh, sorry, dual-fuel stove and dual-fuel light. Don't forget that. Uh, A a bottle, a green bottle of propane and a screw-on or uh, burner is one of my favorites. And the other keep it simple, stupid thing I love the most is these simple little alcohol stoves, mm. especially ones made from cat food cans and a hole punch. You just go get some 91% isopropyl from Walmart, and that's your fuel. And uh, or or the other thing, you know, some places in the country like Texas, you can buy 190 proof Everclear. Yep. So not only is it a great topical disinfectant, you get a cut, you get a scrape, you wash it out with Everclear and kill all the bacteria in it. Great stuff for that. It can be, you can use it in your alcohol fuel stove so you can heat things up and you can burn it. And then if you get sick or hurt or injured, you can take it orally as a numbing agent. And the other thing you can do with it is you can trade for about anything with it. So... Do, do not overlook the Everclear in your preparedness trailer because there's three big things you can do with it. I know they're going to end up drinking it, but I had to mention the other. <laughs> no, no, no. It does do the other things, and you can yeah, you can do it half and half, and you're down about 100-proof vodka, 90-proof vodka at that point, and you can make screwdrivers with it or whatever. Um, but, you know, you mentioned the isopropyl alcohol. That's, that's actually a, a good reason to have some sort of an alcohol stove because – what I noticed during Harvey was a lot of people I rate that Best Buy had the nerve to sell water bottles, bottled water for a dollar eighty a bottle, but they priced it by the case. I didn't see anybody outraged at a Rite Aid or an Eckerd's for what they were charging for isopropyl alcohol, and it, the majority of people probably wouldn't even be interested in buying any of it. Like I think even in the worst disaster, if Eckerd's or CVS is open, you could probably go get isopropyl alcohol for less than a dollar a bottle. Just go onto YouTube and Google uh, cat food alcohol stove, and you will find uh, them made from tuna cans, cat uh, food cans. Uh, Soda little, cans, beer cans, yeah. uh, you know. 
Well, those, those, the, the penny stoves, the ones from soda cans, they take a lot more work to make one. But the, if you use the Fancy Feast three-ounce cat food, <laughs> it's, th- it's thin wall, and you literally take a paper punch, go around it, go punch, 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 put the alcohol in it, light it, let it burn for 15 seconds, put your pot on top of it, then it comes out of the holes and spreads across your pot really nice and makes such, such simplicity. Just go to YouTube and look at it. Cat food alcohol oh. stoves. Yeah. So what... Uh, what do you envision for yourself and other people having in their trailer for electricity and illumination? Well, you got to have a Stephen Harris battery bank, right? Of course. But, I mean, if we don't even go to that level, right? So if you think about the amount of power draw you're probably going to be using in this situation, it's going to be relatively low. If you're going to have a trailer, I, I don't know about you, I'm not pulling one on my bicycle, right? So I'm going to have my car. So, uh, uh, you know, having an inverter that you could just attach to the battery of your car while your car is at idle is going to be, I think, your good first step. And I love your trick. Um, And the first time you said it, I'm like, I will never forget that, of taking like a piece of 2x12 or a piece of plywood and screwing it to that. So that when the car's on idle and it's sitting there, you don't hear the sound of a thing, bam, as it falls down into your fan and blows up through your hood, right? So that, yeah. like, that was like, like, that's so obvious. So that's where I would start. If I ever do, and I, I'm actually thinking, like, what's my next project? And I always have a project. I'm actually thinking about doing one of these trailers primarily because it is multifunctional. It's not just a bug-out trailer. It's a bug-out trailer. It's a camping trailer. It's a deer lease trailer, etc. I would absolutely build a battery bank system into it. And, of course, I already own a generator, but if I didn't, I would probably make that investment at some point because now you've got batteries, so you've got a reserve of power. You've got generator, so you can generate power. You've got gas because you're storing gas because you're not stupid. You've got the car idle capable of providing electricity. So you have multiple redundancies there, and yet it all goes back to gasoline. So the fact that you can pick up you know, a, a solar charge controller for about 30 bucks and add that to that system – and throw a couple of solar panels on the roof of that trailer makes a lot of sense to me. I don't know that I would want to drive around with those panels up there all the time. Right. I, I'm much bigger on let's get some heavy magnets for the back of them. Let's uh, make a pigtail for them. Let's keep them in the trailer. Maybe when it's sitting at home, you know, we can we can make sure the batteries stay topped off or what have you. But... When we're on the road, when we're anywhere where we don't want people to know what we're doing, I'd rather those panels go away yep. and come out when that vehicle's sitting there out in the open or when I'm camping or whatever. So that would kind of be the approach I would take. Okay, there's two types of charge controllers. There's one called pulse width modulation, which is the standard uh, charge controllers, PWM. The newer type, the better type, is called MPPT, for multi-point power tracking. And if you get an MPPT, uh, there's different ones. Some only allow up to 100 volts in. Some allow up to 150 volts in. But what you can do is you can get go get three solar panels, like three 100 waters that are about $129 now, or two of them. And you want to be in the shade anyways because it's probably going to be hot. And But solar panels are called solar panels, not shade or cloud panels. Yeah. So what you can you want to store them inside the trailer so they're safe so they're not advertising what you're doing. 
So you bug out and you go to some U.S. forest land, which is free for you to go on to, or BLM land. Find a nice little clearing. Park your truck and your camp, your uh, trailer in the shade. And then you go out and you set up with a stick, like uh, one by two. You point your solar panels towards the sun. Now, they're not in parallel for 12 volts, 12 volts, and 12 volts running back to your charger to recharge your battery bank in your trailer. <clears throat> Excuse me. You put them in series so you have an open circuit voltage. A 12-volt solar panel has an open circuit voltage of 18. So you have 18, 18, and 18. So what's that? Uh, 64, 54. So you have 54 volts. Now, the higher the voltage, the lower your current. That's why you can run a lot of power through an extension cord, but you can't run 12 volts very far because extension cord is 120 volts. The battery is only 12. So you can put all three of your solar panels in series. Then you can hook up a thick extension cord to it, use the extension cord for its copper, run it back to a little adapter that you made, plug it into your charge controller, and it will charge your batteries. And then when your batteries are charged, you want to run power someplace, you take the same extension cord, pull off the DC adapters you made, plug it into your inverter, and run the uh, extension cord out to your pop-up canopy with an LED light screw and light bulb in it. And the other nice thing about having a battery bank, again, it's a free class from Jack and I, it's at battery1234.com. Um, the other th cool thing you can do is, if you got your your batteries in your trailer, those can be your battery bank for your house just as easily. All you got to do is run a power cord to your trailer instead of a power cord to your battery bank in the basement. But the only thing you want to do is you might want to bring your batteries inside, like into the garage or into the basement or into the house. Batteries are not going to like the summer heat of Arizona. They're not going to like it at all. So when it starts getting up above 95, consider bringing in your batteries or doing something with them so they stay cooler. And when it starts getting below 50 or 40 Fahrenheit, do the same thing. Bring your batteries in because batteries really don't like the cold. I mean, literally, a, a battery that's 100 ampere hours at 85 degrees Fahrenheit is literally going to be like 40 or 50 ampere hours at 32. Gotcha. So, so and, you know, my saying about batteries is treat your batteries better than your dog. If you wouldn't let your dog stay in the crawl space of your house, you know, don't let your batteries do that either. If you wouldn't lock your dog up into the garage or in the trailer, don't do that with your batteries. Treat your batteries just a little bit better than your dog and you will get the maximum life out of them. And then you can put your batteries into your bug out trailer. So you can bug out, you have power, blackout comes by, thunderstorm knocks down some power lines, you just run an extension cord out to it, run into your house, you now have power for your house. Uh, same thing, you got the cord out there, you can power from your car. So you know, if you're going to build a battery bank, it might as well be in the bug-out uh, trailer. Just make sure you can move the batteries inside or outside for the best life, and that's what I would suggest you do for electricity. Oh, also, LED lights, you want the ones that 
they'll say 25 watt equivalent or 40 watt equivalent. You want the ones that their actual draw is going to be between 2.5 and 5 watts. So it will be a 25 watt equivalent. You're better off having three 25 watt equivalent LED lights than you are having one 75 watt equivalent LED light. Hmm. It lights up more. It uses less spreads power. Spreads the light out. Spreads the light spreads out. out. Plus, you can reach up. And, oh, I don't need that one. You reach up and unscrew it, and then you only use two lights or one light. So think. don't think like, oh, yeah, I'm going to put a 150-watt equivalent LED light on it. No, no, don't. You know, go, with, go with the small ones. Again, you want to run silent, run deep, and you want to sip your power off the batteries and not gulp it out. So I got a generator question for you on a brand. Um, uh-huh. I know you're a huge fan of the Honda EU 2000, and they yeah. sell for around nine hundred thousand bucks, depending on when and where you get them. There's yeah. a company called Champion makes pretty good generators, and I, I never really checked on them at a local store. I think I've always seen their pricing online being like you know seven fifty, and I'm like, you know, for the difference, I would I would go with the Honda. I was at a store called Atwoods earlier this week. And uh, people that around can check and see if there's one in your area. They had um, the Champion 2000 watt inverter generators, which you can get a bridge and bridge two of them together and run basically two as a single unit um, for 399 bucks. Would you That's, buy that generator for 399 dollars? I'd buy one and, and well, I'd buy one and play with it and test it. In fact, now that you mention it, I'll probably go look for it and go buy it just so I can report back to TSB people, you know, whether it's a, you know, thumbs up or thumbs down. You know, really, when it comes to generators, you're, I mean, if you buy a Honda EU2000i, you're going to have the thing for a lifetime. It is that high of quality. It's the gold standard. There's people who ha- have Hondas, and there's people who wish they bought the Honda. But, again, it's high dollar. It's 900 and actually jack i can tell you uh i bought 10 of them off of amazon for uh puerto rico mm-hmm. on t-spaz and it was nine thousand nine hundred and eighty dollars and fifty cents for 10 of them yeah so they are but you know what else you can find them at northern northern tool and harbor freight and when they're on sale they're 88 bucks when they're not on sale they're like 129 there are little 700-watt, 800-watt, and 1,000-watt generators for around $100, but they're two-cycle. They're two-cycle, yeah. You know, where the Honda very easily has a documented life of around 12,000 hours of operation, this little two-cycle is only going to have a life of maybe 1,000 hours. But a thousand hours for your disaster is a lot of time, and it's very small, very lightweight. Runs on gasoline and two cycle oil. It will recharge your battery bank. It will. It won't run a microwave, um, but it'll do almost everything else you could possibly want. And that would be a very keep it simple system for your cargo trailer. In fact, you just might, I would carry two of them at that price. I'd yeah, two that's what I'm saying. Like, so when I look at that, like I can get two of these for the price of one Honda. Uh, and oh, they, the, the little right. parallel cable is like 20 bucks. But you right. have two. They can go two different places. 
And if you are running them together, I don't know if you've looked at them. The cool thing is they're designed to stack on top of each other. <laughs> they, they're made to stack on top. And, and when I first learned about them was one of my RV days. Like every RV, RV dealership that I went to, that's what they're selling with their RVs is, is champions. Yeah. So, I, 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 like I said, I just want to throw it out there for people that like, might be in the market for one. Like, because I look at it this way. Is it as good as a Honda? I don't know. Probably not. But if you have $400 and you don't have $900, then you have a generator versus not having a generator. And I haven't, I haven't heard a lot of people basically bad-mouthing them. And usually if something's a problem child, you don't have a hard time finding people to tell you not to buy it, you know? I, I'll uh, have to go get one of those and a Ryobi and see how they work out compared to the Honda. The other really big advantage to the Honda is there's this fabulous company run by one man in Texas, and it's called VM Sales, Victor Mike, Victor Mike Sales, S-A-L-E-S dot com. He sells a six-and-a-half-gallon fuel tank that goes on into the Honda generator, and all you have to do is take your cap off and put his cap on, and that's it. That will run the generator huh. for three and a half days. Yeah. Because normally the, the generator will run out of fuel about after six hours. Yeah. So, you know, you're sleeping, the air conditioner, the window air C AC unit's running, the Honda's outside running, and you're six hours into sleeping, and it's like all of a sudden the air conditioner turns off, and your CPAP turns off. And... um you get woken up, you go outside, you got to feed the baby, you got to pour more gasoline. But if, when you take one of these external tanks and you put them on an inverter-style generator, it is just so darn convenient. You can literally, you throw that Honda onto economy mode, and it's like it just, there's something we have in the industry called a turndown ratio, which I explained in another show. But that thing will just like idle down to really low and just be purring really low. And uh, when you turn on something that's like you go start your microwave, you'll hear it go and you'll start back and you'll go to a higher level and everything. But it's just like so nice just to be able to let the generator run for three and a half days. That's pretty cool. Um, let's kind of move on from that. I think we hit power pretty hard for, for the time we have. Um, let's talk a little bit about sanitation. So... Like, it doesn't take a long time to start to really stink and start to have parts of your body chafe and, and well, what have you and one of these disasters. So what would your solution be for keeping everybody clean and healthy, you know, over a couple weeks or more if we don't have any infrastructure to use? What, um, hmm. Well, I'll tell you what I actually did. Uh, my wife broke her ankle right at the ankle incredible pain stuck on the couch for two weeks with her leg over her higher than her heart uh, surgery uh, reconstruction and then just out of it for like two months and uh, she was uh, what I did for her is uh, I went on Amazon and I got a battery powered portable shower and what you do is you take, I'd take two five-gallon pails, leave them out in the sun on the back deck. She'd go out on the back deck, and no one can see you from the back deck. It's just like woods behind us. Neighbors can't see you. And she would sit out there in the chair with her leg up because she couldn't get her leg wet. 
and she would like wash her hair and wash herself with this little camp shower battery powered thing I mm. got. So I mean, it worked very, very good. She, you know, I asked her if she wanted me to buy one. She goes, no, 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 and I bought it anyways. And then she goes, you know, thank God you did that. It, you know, it, it it was night and day the way she felt about herself after she took a little clean uh, miniature shower with this thing. So I would get one of those pop-up canopy things that they have them for uh, taking showers, or you put a little toilet in them when you're camping. And it gives you privacy. And I would uh, have five-gallon pails. Uh, one of them is more than enough to take a shower and wash your hair and rinse with one of these battery-operated camping showers. And uh, leave it in the sun, let it warm up, and you'll have a warm shower. And that's what I would do for, for personal hygiene, is to take a quick shower with this thing. Uh, it's not a Hollywood, you know, there's Navy showers and there's Hollywood showers, okay? This is more like a Navy shower. But uh, that will keep you clean. The number one thing that will screw you up the quickest in any disaster is an injury to your skin, a blister, a cut, a scrape, a rash, a puncture will turn you from mobile to in- invalid faster than anything else. So you really want to pay close attention at making sure you don't chafe, you don't rash, you don't get a blister in your boot, and having a shower like this, you know, say you're at a camping site, there'll be a lake or a river or someplace, you can easily go get water and let it warm up and then take a shower like this. That is what I would do. The other thing I can do with my trailer is I can open the two rear doors and then I made two little rear doors that open up from them so it forms like a box and it's yeah, a thin yeah. wood box. And I can go in there and take a miniature shower and or just say, you know, I, I feel fine. I just want to wash my hair. That just makes me feel better. Let me walk, bend over, wash my hair for a few minutes, rinse it out. Okay, I feel good. You know, use a baby wipe on the more sensitive areas that might stink. And then, you know, tomorrow I'll, I'll take a, sh- a shower. But this will let you take a shower every two days, every three days, or every day. And it'll go long way towards making you feel better. That's how I would handle that part of sanitation. How about that, you? That's that's actually really cool. I didn't know about those. Um, I can see an item of the day coming uh, in <laughs> the future uh, with that. Um, however, what I've used up till now is just, and there's like a bunch of people that make them. It's yeah. a five-gallon black rubber bag. You fill yep. with water and you hang it up, and gravity does the work. And yep. you can get them for like five bucks, and you yep. can get them for like twelve bucks, and you can get yep. them for like thirty bucks. Yep. The ones that are twelve and the ones that are thirty, the difference is the brand name. The ones that are twelve and the ones that are five, the difference is the twelve dollar ones won't break the first time you use them. So don't right. buy the super cheap ones. And, and so I would pretty much do what you said, but that's where I would have gone with it. But I, I'm definitely going to have to check out. Uh, these things. I've also run into uh, a product I'm still playing around trying to find a good one, but trying to stretch water usage in a lot of parts of the world that don't have a lot of water is, is a pretty big thing. And they make these nozzles that basically screw on a, like a standard water bottle, like a, you know, like an Evian bottle or, or what have you. 
And it's actually surprising how long you can stretch out the use of, you know, 20 ounces of water if it's going through something that's basically like a a watering can for your your garden, only smaller yep. holes and a little bit at a time. I wouldn't try to sh- you know, their market is, "Oh, you can shower with this." No, you can shower with that. But I can wash my hands with that. I can wash my pits with that. And I think that like one of the things people need to be prepared for even if you have a shower solution is you're not going to be able to take a shower as often as you would like due to the situation, water resources, all of that together. So at least being familiar with like how, you know, when you're in the military and you're out in the field, how you bathe is basically a washcloth of water uh and and soap and you wash your pits, you wash your crotch, you wash your feet, behind your knees, behind your ears, your neck, any place where parts of your body rub together, you really want to make sure you get clean. It's a huge thing and then change your socks daily whether you think you need to or not and powder for your feet. Um yep. I mean that 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 keeps you from being miserable on forced road marches in the military. So it should do a pretty good job in this type of situation. It's another good reason to have the isopropyl alcohol and or the Everclear because you can wet a nice piece of paper towel and make it your own quick moist uh wipe and you can clean your pits and clean your crotch and kill the bacteria there and get the any of the skin oils off and everything else. So there's another dual use for your isopropyl or for your your Everclear. Very cool. So I think like I said we can only do so much in one day, so we'll kind of move on <laughs> from there. Um how about comfort in regard to temperature? So we have totally different situations, right? If it's just you and me for instance, right now if you have to bug out in a situation like this where you live, you're going to have to try to stay warm. Where I'm at, I'm going to be pretty good right now. This is the time of year to bug out if you got to bug out in Texas, but if I have to bug out in the middle of winter, I'm going to have to stay warm too, but if I have to bug out in August here, it's going to be 100 million degrees, right? So what are your thoughts on ways to either stay warm or stay cool based on, you know, where you are and what you need to do? The number one way to stay warm is clothing. clothing as jim phillips says is your mobile personal shelter so you want to have all synthetic not wool not cotton clothing in adequate amounts for you in the winter time now a little bit it, let's say we got a bug out trailer situation right now in my trailer I have a little R2D2 style air conditioner with a hose going through the wall and blowing the hot air outside. I have uh it has come to my attention that they now make these same little R2D2 style air conditioners that are heat pumps. So not only do they make cold, they make hot. Now, if you took a Honda EU2000i, it's basically going to have a 15 amp socket on it, right? That's going to be enough to run a 12,000 or 14,000 BTU air conditioner because an air conditioner is a heat pump. It pumps heat from one side out to the other. Now, when you reverse the cycle, it is a heat pump as well. It is literally pulling the heat out of the air. I mean, it is literally pulling heat out of 28 degree air making it colder blowing the heat into your trailer 
and then throwing the extra cold air back outside. So if you hooked up a resistance heater, like a ceramic heater, to your Honda generator, you can only get about 5,000 BTUs per hour out of that ceramic heater. If you use the heat pump in your R2-D2 air conditioner slash heater, you can get about 15,000 BTUs of heat into your trailer. So the same unit, they're about $200 more expensive, 600 to 750 for these, but you can then use your generator uh, as both as a source of cooling for you in your trailer, which is wonderful. I've used it many times. And you can also use it as a very decent source of heat because 15,000 BTUs uh, is a fair amount of heat, especially for a trailer. And it will keep you warm. Your other options would be the, the Mr. Buddy heater is mm-hmm. probably the most reliable. You have an adapter that normally takes a one-pound bottle, but there's an adapter to go to a propane tank. I would use that in my trailer. I would also have a carbon monoxide alarm in the trailer if I was using the Mr. Buddy heater as well. Uh, just for two is one, one is none. For backup, it has its own sensors. So you could use propane to do that. Again, it, when you're using the heat pump or the propane heater, what you're doing is you're heating the room to heat the person. And you're always better off just heating the person, which is your clothing. Uh, but, you know, sometimes for your convenience and the kids and everything, you want to be able to heat the room. So you want to be able to heat the trailer, and this is one of the ways that you can do it. And so now you're standardized on using a generator, storing gasoline, using gasoline, and now, you're using, now your generator has become an integral part of your preparedness for your trailer, and you are going to have a significant level of comfort and thus be a spectator rather than a participant in the disaster. And I think one of the important takeaways from that is, like, one of the drawbacks to, like, living out of a trailer is there is a size restriction. The other side, though, is it's much easier to heat and cool a small area than a big area. And I, if if I do this, I'm really thinking that I'm going to insulate the walls of the damn thing. It just seems like the place you never cut money out of in a project is insulation. It's the biggest return you'll ever get for foam. I mean, (laughs) it's foam. It's not expensive. It it might seem expensive, but when you put it in relation to the cost of a total project, it's cheap. Yes, and spray foam is the best. And, And then I would always say, like, it amazes me. Like, I had... Uh, a, a power outage here recently, and one of my neighbors was like, you know, I wish we were like you and had a generator and all that because it, it was so hot and so miserable sleeping. Now, this wasn't a long-term thing, right? This is like, you know, tomorrow the power is going to come back on and all. I'm like, why don't you just go sleep in your truck? And I swear to God, he looked at me like he was going to punch me in the face. <laughs> like, just, just go idle your truck. Like, you know, it's like, like long-term, yeah, I know you've got to conserve gas and all, but, like, if your power goes out in your house... And you don't have backup cooling or heating. Go yep. crank the max Ford. Turn uh, coast to coast AM. I had one of those times we, we had the power go out. And we did have a generator. But it went out at like 2 o'clock in the morning in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't feel like it. 
I was like, I, I told I told Dorothy, I'm gonna I'm gonna go sleep in a truck, and she's like, go ahead, do whatever you want. So I came in about seven o'clock, and like I walk in the door, it was almost like like planned. The power came on, and I'm like, oh, this is great. And uh, she was all sweaty and miserable. She's like, well, what did you do? I said, I slept. I listened to Art Bell, and I slept. It was great. It was awesome. I, you know, it, it, so like, don't overlook the obvious. Not that's not the only thing like that. There's there's plenty of plenty of disaster stories where you hear about you know so and so's house burned down or whatever, or you know they got stuck behind the lines or whatever. And you go, if you just look at the stuff they had, they had everything that they needed, and some of it was pretty obvious. Yeah, babies and elderly, both of those people can be affected very quickly by high temperatures. Because yeah. elderly people don't have good circulation. Babies have a um, very high surface area to the mass ratio. So they can gain or lose heat very quickly. So you might have to do that for uh, a baby or an old person, throw them in your vehicle and turn on the AC for it and let them cool down. I was uh, driving on the highway in Pittsburgh on a curve going to the highway and there was this, like, 90-year-old man sitting on the post of the guardrail. His, his, tire, his car tire was flat and everything. And I went by him, and I went all the way down, turned around on the highway through an exit, and came back, went all the way back around, pulled up behind him. And I go up to him and goes, what's wrong? And he goes, got a flat tire. And I go, yeah, spare? He goes, yeah, spare's on there. And now the spare is flat. Huh. And and I said, you know, sir, you know, I pointed at my truck. I said, my truck has really awesome air conditioning in it. How long have you been out here? Hour and a half. I said, great. And I said, why don't you come into my truck and sit in my truck in the air conditioner, and we'll get on the phone. We'll get AAA or someone out here. And um, he goes, oh, yeah, sure. He, yeah, air conditioning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he was all about it. And, uh, he, you know, that guy could have really been in jeopardy if he stayed it was 92 93 degrees humid you know that could put a person like him in jeopardy oh yeah and i put anybody of, in jeopardy but you're right yeah. the elderly and the and the infant is the one at the most risk yes absolutely so steve look we're we've hit like about an hour and 40 minutes on this i i, I think we've kind of beat it as hard as we can for the day but this is what i'd like to do i'd like to like let's just let the audience, like after getting this as like a primer, feed us questions. And instead of doing a typical interview day show, we'll skip a, a standalone or a feedback show or something like that. And we'll, we'll, once we have enough material, we'll j kind of jump back on and take stuff from the audience. What do you think about that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Go to uh, the TSP page for today. Go down to the comment section of the uh, blog for the page. And start asking questions, guys. Start asking what you, you know, what's in your mind. What did we miss? What are you, you're yelling at me, Steve, talk about this. Sure, what yeah. Was, what was it? And put it in there, and we'll get a whole list of questions, and then we'll come back with Bug Out Trailers 2, and we'll hit each question from each person, nice and hard, and give you examples and solutions. Yeah, and if you could do me a favor, guys, like I know a lot of you like to send me emails and all. In this instance, it would be best. I know some of you never go to the website. I understand that. It's okay. But in this instance, it would be best if you would go ahead, 
cruise on by the survivalpodcast.com and if you're on your mobile device and you don't want to type a bunch of letters in we have a short domain tspc.co go on by look for episode 2117 and put your questions in the comments and the reason that's best is Steve can go there too so we can both know all the questions before we get on the air together instead of trying to you know amalgamate it bring it together Don't put it on Facebook. Don't email me in this one instance. Please use the comments section as your preferred method of comms. And uh, I think it would be great because, like, this is such a broad subject. I think probably we start a lot of interest and a lot of thoughts, and that makes a lot of questions. And that means we can actually meet the audience at where, where they want to be met because this is something, like, if, I was just thinking as we're doing this, if I did a DVD series on building bug-out trailers, it would be longer than like an entire television series for a season. There is so much because I could do it pretty condensed if you just said, okay, well, what you get is, you know, a seven by six box trailer. Okay, fine. But some people are going to have that. Some people are going to want to do a larger trailer. Some people are going to want to make a trailer they live in. Some people just want to basically have basically a trailer carry all their camping shit. You know, so I, I think we have to address it based on the need and the and the desire uh, of the audience to be able to do this justice in a podcast. The audience, the TSP audience, has consistently, consistently amazed the crap out of me because they'll write to me and say, "Steve, can I do blah blah blah?" And I'm going, "No, you know, of course you can't." And I'm going, typing is like, wait. Maybe you can. <laughs> I mean, look, I think I can find out a way to do this, you know. And I start, you know, I just get the most amazing. They come out of the blue and they ask the most amazing things that I would never, ever consider. And, uh, which, oh, speaking of which, bread maker. Uh, 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 an Oster 58-minute, two-pound bread maker. Great thing for making food in your bug-out vehicle off the generator or off the batteries or the idling car. But uh, that someone wrote to me about that same thing, like, hey, Steve, can I use my bread maker? It's like, no, I, are you kidding? You, you've got to be. Well, wait a minute. How much power does a bread maker take? So I went and put my meter on the bread maker. It's like, darn thing only took 320 watt hours. That's not, you know, that's not a lot of power, and I got two pounds of fresh bread. You, know, yeah. you, might, you might as well be printing $20 bills in a disaster when you got a two-pound loaf of fresh bread. Yeah, definitely. Go There's been a lot of stuff like that. I'm like, that's the dumbest. I wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> that's like, wait, 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 wait a minute. Maybe it's not. Maybe I should figure out how to do this because that's our that's our job. Our job isn't to go. Here's all the shit we know. Our part of our job is to say, hey, like you want to do this, and, and trust us. We'll tell you when when we we let. That's dumb. wait a minute. Let me see. Oh no no no, that's stupid. Don't do that because we don't want you to waste your time, money, and resources, and we don't want you to blow yourself up either. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sometimes <laughs> where we're working quickly, we just said stupid it's false it's not real don't do it run away as fast as you can you know we don't have time to write a dale carnegie chapter for you we're just like <laughs> telling you no just don't just go find something else I, i i have to say though over the years i've gotten more and more to like i don't send that email i hit you know mark as unread and then like over the weekend i'll look at it again before i respond to because i've i've way too many times had that experience where you're like wait a minute 
I can do that. And that's really cool. And then a lot of times that leads you to like, not only can I do that, but because now I can do that, I can do this and this and this and this. So we'll see what comes in, but we need to wrap. Steve, thanks for you being with us today. The audience, of course, is unaware we had like a major technical pain in the ass at the beginning because Skype updated itself and my recording program didn't like it. And But uh, we, we got her going anyway. And, uh, you know, Steve, I'll just say at this point, you know, we'll, we'll get that other one done, but have a great Thanksgiving, man. I will. I will. Maybe we'll do the next one before Christmas or after. That's a plan. Somewhere in between here and Christmas. You know, maybe two, three weeks out where we get enough stuff, you know, yeah. to be able to do it. And, and some time to actually look at it and go, that's dumb. No, wait a minute. That's not dumb at all. How to do yep. that. Yeah. And I'll, I'll have a whole bunch of T-Spaz links for them, too. All right, man. I appreciate that. But uh, okay. Anyway, man, Steve, thanks for being with us today. See you, Jack. Bye. Well, that's a great interview. I don't know what else I would have expected from Steve, and it was fun to just uh, kind of shoot the breeze and, and come up with ideas on the fly, though I know he cheated some in doing some back-end research because that Steve is an engineer. He can't help himself. Anyway, uh, before uh, we, we sign off today, I want to remind you one of the ways you can help support this show is by doing your online shopping where? tspaz.com. All you got to do, guys, when you're going to go buy something online, go to tspaz.com and start your online shopping from tspaz. It's all you got to do. You can help support the show. There you'll also find our Amazon item of the day review. And I have um, a highly requested one for you guys today. Sort of. It's not really the item was requested, but the recipe that comes with it. Uh, about a year and a half ago, as I got really deep into blending my own teas, I decided I wanted to blend a tea that would help me sleep and that would encourage dreams. Um, I'm a lucid dreamer. I'll talk about that in just a second. Uh, but I wanted something that would be, would stimulate dream activity and put you to sleep. And I mentioned last week when we had Cat Ellis on that I had this tea, and it would knock you the hell out, but it tasted like gym socks. And in spite of my uh, resounding endorsement on the flavor, I got like no less than 25 people saying, hey, how do you make this tea? So I thought, well, let me see if you can get Valerian on Amazon, because up until now I had been getting my Valerian somewhere else. And it turns out you can. I will make the Valerian the item of the day, because it's the core of this thing. And I would give you the recipe for my gym sock nighttime tea. And it's I'll tell you what, it's not really that bad, but I'm setting the bar low. Because you know all the other tea recipes I've given out, they're like, man, that tastes really good. Yeah, not so much. So here's what goes in it. Three, and this is by volume, not weight. So you can use any, you can use a tablespoon, you can use a cup, you can use a shot glass. It just needs to be a uniform distribution by volume to get my results. Not that it's the only way to do it or you're going to kill yourself if you do it differently or anything. It doesn't work that way. But it's three parts valerian, three parts demanual leaf, two parts passion flower, two parts peppermint, one part mugwort, and one part rose petals. And I have links to where you can get all of those items on Amazon and a couple different sources for Demandia Leaf because you cannot get Demandia Leaf on Amazon. My best guess as to why is that there were some states that made it illegal, the key one being Louisiana. And I think that it was probably just like, we don't want to deal with it, so we just won't put our product on Amazon, you know, because all these herbal companies have all these different herbs and it. Just not going to deal with trying to figure out whether you can or can't buy it off Amazon. So, done. So, Demandia Leaf can't be found there, but I do have a couple links in the PS and the review where you can get it. Um, what this tea does is pretty much just zonks you. And, and a big part of that is the sedate effects 
sedative, sedative effects of valerian, which is a very well-known sedative herb. And it's been used for a very long time for that purpose. It's considered safe. I'm going to have to say this, though. Since this is not just about enjoying the flavor of something and you are looking for a result, I am not a doctor. I do not even play a doctor on TV like, say, Dr. Oz does. I am not an herbalist from a standpoint of being a certified herbalist, a master herbalist, or anything like that. I consider myself quite knowledgeable in herbs. I have worked with herbs for the last 20 years, using them on myself and you know, with, for my family. I've never had any kind of incidents or anything. But valerian and demania both are quite active herbs for, the, you know, for herbs, as is mugwort. And they may or may not have interactions with certain, certain medications. If you're on any medications, I highly suggest you talk to your doctor or research herbal interactions with those medications before using any herbs or specifically herbs that are known to have significant effects you know, physiologically like valerian. Uh, even though I think maybe the risk is overstated, I have to state it, and this is not medical advice. I am not a doctor. Again, I don't even play one on TV. Just to make the department of making you sad not come make me sad. All right? But this stuff works. Now, I found a thing about it. If you drink this and take your ass directly to bed, usually within about 10 minutes, you are zonked. If you drink this and don't go to bed for like 45 minutes, you're really relaxed, you're really chill, but you're actually kind of aware, and you don't really fall asleep easily. I don't get it. Okay, I really there's there's a it's almost like a window of opportunity to go to sleep, and I think that's why it also probably has some enhanced effects on dreams. I usually drink about two cups of this stuff, made with about three tablespoons of uh, tea. Now I don't make a fresh second batch with. I usually just I use my little little tea maker thing for this, and uh, or my French press, and it'll make two cups right off. I drink it pretty quickly, and I go straight to bed. I do sweeten this with honey to make it more palatable. It's more the smell of the valerian than the taste that's, that's not all there with you know enjoyability. Um, but some of the other things, you know, like the mint and the rose petals and the passion flower, actually do help a little bit with the flavor. You can make it without the demania leaf. Okay? You can. And... Uh, It'll still work just great, but Demania is a really useful herb. And uh, the fact that it ever was illegal in Louisiana just doesn't make sense, other than Louisiana makes everything illegal. My understanding is they've changed that law. In a lot of places I used to get it from, they used to say, does not ship to Louisiana. I don't see that anymore, so I think it's now legal everywhere. Apparently some people were smoking it blended with things like mugwort as a, uh, a an alternative to cannabis. I can tell you it doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> not like cannabis does anyway. Um, but it is a good, rounded sleep tea. If you want to simplify it, you can basically go two parts valerian to one part peppermint. It's still very sedative and uh, will we'll kind of help you put you right out. But it's the other things, I think, combined with the valerian and the domania that give it the, uh, the dream thing. So I said in the review, I would talk a little bit about lucid dreaming today. It's a big topic. It's not really a survival topic, but it is something that I have... Um, trained myself to do over, again, about 20 years, about the same time I got into uh, herbology is when I got into this concept as I was re researching methods of natural health and individual spiritualism and stuff like that. So what a lucid dream is is where you realize you're dreaming and you can explore the dream or actually change things in the dream or you can 
like go, hey, this is a dream, so I can fly, and you can fly, and you can fly in your dream, right? Um, and there's a lot of triggers, like triggered right now, like there's a lot of triggers that you can use to train yourself that something's a dream. And, and the main one is when you're dreaming, a lot of things don't make sense. You parked your car somewhere, now you're trying to get back to it, but there's an elevator, things like that. Like it's just odd. It's just odd. Like it doesn't make any sense. Like how come I can't find where I'm going or why did I go from a department store to my bedroom? It, things like that, right? If you've ever dreamt and remembered your dreams, you know that that kind of weird shit happens. Things that are disconnected and to where this is not like reality. It's, it's a dream. Well, the trigger I developed over the years is when I'm like, what's the deal? I always say to myself, how did I get here? And I don't mean this in the cosmic sense. Like, how, what is my place in the universe? No, you're like, how did I get to this spot? Like, when I woke up this morning, the connect, what's my connection between this spot and this place I'm in right now? And if it's a dream, it's almost like a switch. At This didn't work that well at first. But after doing it over the years, it's like a switch. It's a trigger. Boom. Oh, this is a dream. Let me test that theory. Can I float? Yeah, I can float. It's a dream. Something like that, right? And it's fun. It, 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 it helps you explore things. I would just say that. Um, and you don't need to do any kind of herbs or drugs or anything to do that. It's a, it's a natural process of training the mind to recognize the dream. The hardest thing at that point is actually staying asleep because the more you become aware, the more you move toward wake. Uh, but I just thought I'd throw that in there for something fun before we head off into the holidays. With that, speaking of the holidays, let's talk about our song of the day. Now, I've had John Adam uh, picking our songs out for us going back a couple hundred episodes now, I guess. And that's great, and generally I use his suggestions, and today I'm calling an audible. And I'm doing that for a very specific reason. We recently did a whole set of meatloaf songs, and I'm not telling you who it is. We have another icon of rock coming up with five songs in a row. Uh, a guy that some of you will love and some of you will have majorly misunderstood. Uh, a guy that a lot of people have talked a lot of crap about over the years, accused of being a Satan worshiper, shit like that. Really, really cool. Some of you are already going, I know who it is. Some of you are like, I don't care who it is. All right, here's my thing. I didn't want to play the first song from that person on a Tuesday and not play the second song till next Monday. So I'm punting that series out to start on Monday, and I picked my own song for today. And I wanted to do something that, like, I thought a lot of you would be like, I've never heard that song. Even if you know the artist, right, that you'd be like, wow, I didn't know about this song. Kind of like I've done with Jimmy Buffett over the years, giving you songs. Like, there is more than the, the, the mustache and getting drunk and screwing and uh, Margaritaville and, 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 and one or two other songs. Like, Jimmy Buffett has this whole repertoire of music. Well, Van Morrison is actually someone that Jimmy Buffett um, covered. Of course, Brown Eyed Girl. Jimmy Buffett did a cover of that. I actually kind of like him. Heresy, I know a little bit more than Van Morrison's version. But Van Morrison is a deep artist with a lot of really great stuff. And I was trying to think of a song that would fit the current time of the seasons. And even though the, the, the month selected in this one is September instead of November, uh, you know, a lot of us live in parts of the country where right now is when the leaves are falling. And this is called When the Leaves Come Falling Down by Van Morrison. 
And this is a song I think like the first time you listen to it, you'll like it. And the second time that you listen to it, you'll like it more. And the third time you listen to it, you'll fall in love with it. It's an amazing, deep, beautiful, and might I say romantic song. If you want to spend some time alone with that special person, put some music on, put this tune on. I think you'll be surprised with it. And it talks about, yeah, the leaves falling down, but also the relationship and how time moves. It's kind of a perfect song for this time of year. And again, my hope is for many of you, for as long as this song's been around, even if you're familiar with Van Morrison, it'll be the first time you heard it, but hopefully not the last. With that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Help you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. I saw you standing with the wind and the rain in your face. And you were thinking about the wisdom of the leaves and their grace. When the leaves come falling down In September when the leaves come falling down And at night the moon is shining On a clear cloudless sky But when the evening shadows fall I'll be there By your side When the leaves come falling down In September when the leaves Come falling down Follow me down Follow me down Follow me down Till I place beside The garden and the wall Follow me down Follow me down Till this place Before the twilight And the dawn Oh, the last time I saw Paris In the streets In the rain And as I walk along the boulevards with you Once again The leaves come falling down In September when the leaves Please come falling down
Follow me down Follow me down Follow me down To the place between the garden and the wall Follow me down Follow me down To the space between the twilight and the dawn And as I'm looking at the color of the leaves in your hand As we're listening to Chet Baker on the beach in the sand When the leaves come falling down Oh, in September, when the leaves come falling down Oh, when the leaves come falling down Yeah, in September, when the leaves come falling down When the leaves come falling down In September, when the leaves Leaves come falling down Falling down in September in the rain. When the leaves come falling down. When the leaves come falling down in September in the rain. When the leaves come falling down. <laughs> 